0: Michael Chernow is a celebrity chef, restaurateur, entrepreneur, and wellness fanatic. He got his start in the restaurant industry at age 13, and after struggling with addiction in his 20s, got himself sober and began his wellness journey. Since then, he's opened New York City restaurant favorites The Meatball Shop and Seymour's, which is one of my personal favorites as it focuses on sustainable seafood, something which we're going to talk about today. Not to mention his other venture, Well Well, a line of functional beverages, which we all love here at Mind Buddy Green. Mike's a passionate, can-do type of guy who's run marathons and even ventured into bodybuilding. You'll leave today's podcast nothing short of inspired. It's an honor to have him here on the show today. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. One of our favorite local chefs, restaurateurs, entrepreneurs. Great to have you in the house here in Dumbo. I'm super pumped to be here. So what, let's let's rewind. Let's go back uh, to your evolution and started a while ago, and kind of decided to. As I read, I read somewhere you stopped drinking and started running. So, <laughs> so what happened there? Well, you know, I think
1: uh, if I if I if I close my eyes and I think about um, just life in general, right? It's it's a story. And my life has been a crazy story uh, so far. Um, And, uh, you know, I grew up in New York City uh, in Manhattan. And I went to public school. And I was exposed to an enormous amount of uh, the good and the bad from an early age. But for whatever reason, from as early as I can remember, I've, I've, I've always thought entrepreneurially. Like always. I've always wanted to figure out a way to... Be creative and capitalize and somehow some some way shape or form so you know i i i started dog walking when i was 10 i had a dog i had a full-fledged dog walking business until my parents put a put a kibosh on it because it was getting out of control um i was walking like 30 dogs in my neighborhood um and then uh and then i got a job in a restaurant when i was uh when i just turned 13 years old wow yeah before i worked in the restaurant i was delivering videos Because that's when, you know, videos were still a thing. VHS. VHS. um, In 1993. Uh, And I was delivering videos for Couch Potato Video. A buddy of mine who was a year older than me was answering the phones at a restaurant for the delivery department. And he said, hey, man, you're delivering videos. You can deliver food, too, if you want. And they were two blocks away from each other. So I ended up doing it. And I got a job there at that restaurant. Ironically, a vegan restaurant. Which restaurant? uh, The Candle Cafe. It's still around. Still around. Yeah, still around. And so I, I did that, and I, I mean, I hate to sound cliche, but you know, when I when I walked into the restaurant, I felt like I had arrived. I really did. I, I, I had always been passionate about communication because communication is a huge part of my life, just in general. People are what drive me. Making people happy are what drives me. And so that that sort of fueled this fire for my career, but also fueled this fire for. Uh, Drinking (laughs) and 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 becoming comfortable because I loved I loved being in 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 the mix so much And I was always the youngest one um, and so alcohol really Became a part of my life early on. Uh, and then very quickly soon after alcohol drugs, uh, you know, I I just I, I worked I worked in the restaurants. My parents really didn't have much control over me. My um, my household was a bit rough, and so I I just sort of escaped into restaurants and alcohol and and partying at a young age. Um, and I moved out of my parents' place when I was 15, and. I was just a, a, a wild man on the streets uh, in, of New York, and I, I, I stayed working in restaurants, and I worked my way up. And you know, I was a delivery boy, and a dishwasher, and a, and a back waiter, and a bus, busser, and a bar back, and then a bartender. And then, ultimately, you know, I I'd become somewhat of a of a downtown kid in the restaurant industry. I always maintained a job in a restaurant or a nightclub. Um, and then, when I was 20 years old, I landed a job that. I had for eight years at a restaurant in the East Village um, with one year hiatus when I tried to live in Los Angeles and hated it. Um, No, 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 nothing against LA. I love going there, but it's just tough for a New York City kid to move out there. But anyway, so I got a job in this restaurant and it was really great restaurant hot spot. I mean, packed every night. I was sort of like the man behind the bar. And um, my drinking career really took off there because I didn't have you know, it was part of the culture there.
0: Too. What was the place?
1: Called Frank Restaurant. Um, sure. It's one of the best. Still around, too. It's still around. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. I grew up in that place. Um, if it wasn't for the owner of that restaurant, I would not be sober today. It's on like 2nd Avenue. 2nd Avenue, yeah. between 5th and 6th. I think I had
0: like my 25th birthday there. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah. A lot You of people may have served did. me. I probably did.
1: <laughs> Chances are I lived, I lived in you that may place. have served
0: me way too much there.
1: But anyway, so so I, I parted my brains out. Really, you know, I was a fun guy to be around, but it was a dark place for me to be. Um, and finally, my boss took me aside after sleeping through work one day and, uh, and said, Mikey, I love you like a son, but I can't watch you do this to yourself. Like, I'm just not going to watch it. You know, you're fired. I'm not going to let you do this. And it was not. It was. It was. You know. For, I think for him because he knew how how much I meant to the restaurant. Because people really like were there. Be, you know, people came to see me on a regular basis. I just, I just have this way with people, and and so he made a sacrifice um, by firing me. My job meant everything to me. It was like really, I I loved my job there, and he said, "Look, man, I I don't want to fire you." But I'm I, I'm not gonna watch you do this, and it's I'm not your father. Um, but if you if you commit to getting sober, uh, I'll let you have your job back. And here are the here are the sort of stipulations: you have to show up to work at eight o'clock in the morning. You're not bartending for the, for the next thirty days. Just show up at eight o'clock in the morning, and you got to clean with the porters. Uh, and you got to call me at eight a m the many the minute you get in and if it 's a minute late you 're fired and if you drink you're fired and if I find out you 're drinking you're fired <laughs> and so i I took him seriously and uh I got into the program and i haven't had a drink since and uh, no. i was twenty three and um thank God for that man he saved my life and how old are you now i'm um, thirty eight
0: so fifteen years thats serious yeah. congratulations Thanks. big deal.
1: Yeah, and a couple of guys, um, you know, who I knew from before I got sober, sort of knew that I was I was a, a project or could be a project, and they took me to a Muay Thai gym, um, and these guys were sober. Uh, they took me to a Muay Thai gym and they threw me in the ring and they said, "Take out your energy here," and then once you're done taking out your energy here, put on a pair of running sneakers and go for a run. And I I had been an athlete as a kid, uh, but it was just a whole new world for me and i locked in i just locked in it became my it became my life fitness and wellness and so they taught me how to eat they taught me how to train and um i was between working at frank and at the muay thai gym i was at the gym for four hours a day just like locked into training and discipline and that's where i learned everything about about my structure and foundation today uh uh, through muay thai martial arts (laughs) wow and um yeah, it just, it just changed my life and running is, running has become and, and was at that time, um, a real opportunity for me to get outside of myself and get outside of myself and also inside of myself. And, uh, you know, I would, I would run super long distances and think about things I can do and things that I haven't done yet. And, uh, Yeah, you know, it gave me a platform to, to, to breathe again. I was really underwater there for a while.
0: So how do you feel at that moment when you were confronted? And it's on the way here. I was actually reading a tweet. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was something along the lines of when you confront someone about about having a drinking problem 70% of those people will try to convince you they don't and 30% of those people will try to convince you they don't like having a which is a real like how did you seems like right away it just clicked and. yeah
1: I mean I knew uh, I knew for a long time you know um, I, I'd been you know I didn't I didn't like gradually get worse and worse I like from like the age of 14 years old I was just in it full speed deep, ahead. full speed yeah. ahead. and uh, I you know I'd been introduced to outpatient rehab and you know I'd gone to a couple of AA meetings in my early teens or my mid-teens um, so I knew that there was a real problem um, I just wasn't willing to or, wa- or or wasn't ready to address it and and the, the hard part about alcoholics and alcoholism um, is there's there's zero you can do for anybody. You can be the kindest, you can welcome people into your home, you can pamper them, you can feed them the best food on the planet. You can, you know, tell them you're going to work out with them and give them, you know, the the you know, the sort of world is in the palm of their hands once they stop drinking. At the end of the day, unless that individual is ready, willing and able to stop, sure. it's it, it's useless. And so, you know, I spent years not ready. Um, Even though people would tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, dude, when Frank addressed me, um, for whatever reason, I was I was sick and tired of it. And I knew that I had a lot more to offer and I needed somebody like Frank, a guy that I really looked up to who had what I wanted to just tell me that, you know, it's time man, you got to. freaking get it together
0: well the restaurant industry although i think it's changing from what i hear by nature it's just brutal it's a lifestyle it's exciting you're in the restaurant there's energy people are happy to be there and then after you go out and then you go to other restaurants and i've been with chefs when they go out to eat and it's like they get thrown every dish and the drinks and it's hard to say no because it's you don't want to be disrespectful and i see how it's you get caught up in it
1: yeah it's an indulgent Industry. Yeah. That's what it is. You know, it's an indulgent industry. And, and, and uh, the, the, it's changing now, I think, um, in many ways. But, you know, the magic happens after hours. The magic happens when the sun goes down, you know. And so as a bartender, server, uh, restaurateur, chef, you don't feel the um, success until 8 o'clock at night you know like that's when it starts and so unlike most jobs um you know if you're doing really well the sun is up (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah and like it's daytime and you're You know, like that's when you feel the success. In the restaurant industry, when you feel the success, most of the time, uh, it's like 8.39, the restaurant's packed, everybody around you is indulging in food and and alcoholic beverages, and uh, people are getting dressed up and trying to look good and sexy. And so, like, that's the environment that you're in. You know, that's when the real magic happens at night. Um, And so, yeah, I think that that is... The culture of uh, of the nightlife, and so it's definitely for the people that work within it. Um, it is really difficult to separate uh, the sort of the technical part of the of the industry, which means the people that are working in it, from the from the consumers. Sure, because it, it ends to, it begins to just all mesh together.
0: Yeah, there is a great when, when I bartended in college there was a line from the the, the guy who owned the like uh, the bar owner was like I'll, I'll have a drink with you at the bar around the corner but not in my place because then it, the lines it's very hard if you mm-hmm. own the bar the restaurant and you start drinking there work like it's dangerous yeah and a lot of people who are successful in industry draw a line well
1: at, at any of the restaurants that i've opened and now there's been uh a lot (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah i've opened uh 15 restaurants in my career um you know number one priority and goal to drill in from the very very beginning is that there's just absolutely no substance consumption whatsoever period done it's the one one thing outside of blatantly stealing that, that people will get terminated on the spot for. It's the one thing. I'm happy to pick the ball up after you've dropped it three times, four times, help you out, train, cultivate, mold, help you see your, your potential. But if there's alcohol or drug use or you steal, um, it's over.
0: Well, I, mean, I, think, I think it's becoming, you know, guys like you, our friend Seamus Mullen, I was talking to Tom Clickio about this, you know, Sean Brock, like a lot of guys who are pretty well-known who were saying like hey lifestyle needs to change and this is what works for us and here's how we're thriving and that's a big deal I feel like the culture is shifting in your industry hundred percent you know mental health we all know like you know Anthony Bourdain like it takes a toll it's serious well it's also it's also
1: in, in an industry where um, you get to experience the either gratitude and or um, it, it's, it's sort of like when a chef makes a dish and sends it out to a guest uh, and there's an open kitchen <laughs> and that person can follow that dish right to that person, watch them for two minutes and see if what they've produced has been a success or a failure immediate. It just happens that fast. Um and so it's 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 a, the hype the pressure is just on constantly specifically now you know you used people to, are reviewing you while it. you're
0: eating it's like i was talking to Amanda a F- long time ago with amanda freitag about this and john Delucci, and they were like it used to be you'd wait for the new york times the paper to drop now the paper's dropping every second by someone every in single, there <laughs>
1: every time a dish comes out of the kitchen every single time every single time something walks out of the kitchen you have to believe that somebody's going to take a picture of it, post it, and write something, yeah. and you just hope it's positive because you never know who you're, who's sitting at the table. And so, yeah, the pressure is tough, and uh, you know, and, and the hours are tough. The hours are tough. Just because the restaurant's open from five to eleven doesn't mean that there's not, you know, fifteen. You don't show up hours. there at five, <laughs> right? You know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, I ate dinner last night at Crown Shy. It's a buddy of mine who just opened up this beautiful restaurant, and it was just like you know, I've been he's been talking to me about, to about it for you know a year and a half, and it's come to fruition, and uh, it's incredible, and to see how happy he is. His name is James Kent. We actually went to high school together. Oh. He was uh, he was at EMP for many years, and then he went over to Nomad, and he was the executive chef of Nomad, um, and then he left uh, Daniel and Will and finally taken his own... Where is it? I'll check it out. It's on Pine Street. It's down in the Financial District. Got it. And it's just... It's, it was a magnificent meal, you know? And it's just, like, I can just see. Because the room was packed, and it was buzzing, and I can just... I could feel the energy coming out of the kitchen was just, like, we did it, you know? And it's just... There's no better feeling than that, honestly. Uh, you know, people... Like, there's, like, this you know the rich guys and the rich gals are always like oh i'm gonna open up a restaurant you know just for the just for the fun of it um it's so hard oh yeah it's so hard but when it works it's just like you know
0: it's incredible and so going back to you know you start running you start taking wellness seriously so you're running you're doing martial arts and you know recently you were on instagram you know Show, showing the, the, you, I was saying like, I don't know if you were half serious, half joking, you're like, I'm, I'm gonna be a bodybuilder now. Looking at the photo of you on Instagram, I'm like, I think he is a bodybuilder. <laughs> like you're in the best shape of your life. And so talk about that evolution and like your routine. So like your guy is busy. You got multiple restaurants all over the place. You got two young kids, yet you're super serious about wellness. And you got another business, too. Well, well, what should we talk about? you got a lot going on. So what do you do? Like, what do you eat? Your workout routine? How do you make it all work? Because a lot of people will say, well, i like, I don't have time. But somehow, mm-hmm. you make it all work. Well, you know, I think
1: I spent years uh, trying to figure out the balance. You know, um, I opened up my first business when I was 28, so... Um, Those couple, those first couple years there, I lived and still live in Williamsburg. And my first restaurant was uh, in the Lower East Side. So for the first two years, uh, I didn't get a chance to really go to the gym because I, I, I lived in the restaurant. And so I would wake up early in the morning, I'd put all my work clothes in a backpack tight to my back and I'd run to work every morning (laughs) and then when I'd get to work and you know it's so funny that like I have staff members that are still working at the meatball shop that remember this um I would do over a thousand push-ups a day in the bathroom just because I'm fitness is a huge part of my life so I guess I should start by saying fitness and and wellness are a massive part of my life my priority in life is my family 100 percent Right, that's my number one priority. I read something somewhere recently that said like priorities should not be plural. <laughs> it's it is a priority, right? My number one, my priority is my family. So that's just let's just take them out of the equation because everything is for them, wholeheartedly. I, I try to stay fit and healthy and well so that I could play sports with my kids forever. You know, like, I don't want to be like the, you know, the guy that's like, oh, I want to play, you know, throw a football with my kid at 13. Like, I want to be able to run marathons with my sons at when they're 40 and I'm, you know, 80. Like, that's the way I see it. So I'm I, fitness, you know, plays into my family and business obviously plays into my family. So ultimately, priority family. Then there's there's like other pillars in my life that I, I don't sacrifice. So there's business. There's fitness. And, uh, and, and then there's, I guess, like alone time for me, which I don't really get uh, as much of. I haven't figured out that balance yet. But things get busy and crazy. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to get to the gym. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's, it's necessary for me. Like I don't, you know, when people are like, I don't have time, um, uh, that's BS. As far as I'm concerned, right? Like you can make time if it means enough to you. And fitness and wellness means enough to me that I will schedule it into my day like a meeting Um, every day. I don't miss it Um, because I know that for me what fitness is is a win. Every time I do it, it's just a win. And we all like to win. And so if I can't win at everything that I'm doing because that's unrealistic, I know that if I get to the gym and get a good training session in, I've won. And if that's my only win for the day, that's my only win for the day, and I'm happy. And so I do it. And, you know, people will call me crazy, um, and maybe I am, but I need to do it. And I do it, like, intensely um, because it means so much to me. I feel better. I feel better and we have to do things today specifically with all the technology and the hyper uh, communication and accessibility. Just we have to do things today as far as I'm concerned that are physically rewarding
0: mm-hmm.
1: because the stresses of life today really bog us down mentally. And so if you do something that's physically rewarding, it ultimately affects your mental state. It just does. And so physical fitness and, and, taking action that way is absolutely necessary for me and so what do i do i challenge myself so i'm always i've always got a new challenge you know i run the new york city marathon last year a friend of mine said hey what's your next challenge i said you know i'm not sure yet i know i'm running the marathon next year (laughs) um and i'm gonna try to do a faster time um but she said you know you should you should try bodybuilding and i was like bodybuilding she was like yeah you should try it she's a bodybuilder And so the next day I just looked into it and I found a coach and just went for it. And I, I trained really hard for it. I trained, uh, I I signed up immediately for a competition, um, cause I work really well specifically in fitness, but also in business. Um, I don't set goals for my family because I, you know, I don't want to have that pressure in the family arena. Um, but for business and fitness, I set goals always. And, uh, I signed up for a competition that just passed last Saturday uh, in Los Angeles. And um, I took it very seriously, like as if I was a pro bodybuilder, like that was the way I I approached it. (laughs) And uh, I did good. I I came in the top 10. That's awesome. awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. But I I believe that, you know, I think with, with wellness in regards to nutrition, what you put into your body and fitness or movement, what you do with your body, for me, I tend to have a better outcome in my journey if I have a goal set. If I'm just like aimlessly sort of eating or training, I don't. It's it's not as meaningful to me. So I like to to set a goal, have some sort of a finish line, uh, and then I just jump right into the next.
0: So now that you're in the professional arena, so you work out every day, non negotiable in the morning. I get why people work out in the morning. You don't miss it. There's no excuse. There's no meeting that happens at six a.m. Mm. So, yeah. Well,
1: I don't. I don't. I don't always work out in the morning. I sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll work out. The, you know, if I if if I have the opportunity, I'll work out in the afternoon. But uh, if I don't have the opportunity, and if if I know that like I got a business to open, which has been a part of my life, I'm not going to subject my business partners with my personal <laughs> need to train. So I will wake up at 4.30 in the morning and get out of the house by 5 and train from 5 to 7 home for breakfast with my kids and take my kids to school.
0: But you never miss? Never miss. Every day? Every day. day, oh, six what, days. What's the minimum? I'm curious, how, what's the minimum time in the gym and maximum? I know it's probably evolved.
1: You know, it all, I, I, it all depends on the goal that I've got set for myself. But ultimately, I'm probably on average in the gym an hour and a half um and uh you know for this bodybuilding competition it was definitely longer than that so i was lifting weights for two hours and then i'd I'd always have a a 30 minute cardio thing at the end
0: so how do you eat now i'm curious as someone who's technically a professional bodybuilder (laughs) (laughs) well
1: you know i'm not pro i didn't get my pro card
0: but um, i have a feeling you'll get it if you want it
1: I think I could probably get it next year if I wanted (laughs) (laughs) to. Now at least I know what my competition is. Um, So I've never counted macros before, before this bodybuilding competition. Mm -hmm. So this bodybuilding competition introduced me to macro counting, which is both incredibly informative and also extremely dangerous for me because now I know the implications of nutrition in a much more finite, detailed way. So I'm trying to back out of it, back off of the macro stuff, Like, but it's so ingrained in me. My wife is like, are you really going to weigh your food still now that you're not doing this anymore? Do you have to weigh out your food? But, you know, I, I also enjoy structure. Uh, so... I'm not going to necessarily weigh out my food, but I've got a good eye for portions now. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So I'm just, you know, doing it without having to put the burden on my wife about weighing out everything. Because literally for five months, I weighed out every single gram of food I put into my body. Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, well, maybe before that, how did you eat? Because you're still in pretty darn good shape pre-bodybuilding. So let's go to how did you eat pre-bodybuilding generally, like what your food philosophy is? Yeah. So I have,
1: a, I have an 80-20 Philosophy where Monday through Friday I eat clean, and that means predominantly lots of greens, lots of veg, and protein, sort of you know fish and chicken, and then light like carbohydrates, not not a lot of carbohydrates. You know I tend to use the sort of uh, I'm not like a huge fan of gluten, so I'll eat quinoa and uh, brown rice. And sweet potatoes for my sort of carbohydrate intake Um, but it's I would say I'm I'm definitely uh, 60% veg 30% protein 10% carbohydrate what about
0: fat what are your favorite healthy fats
1: I love avocado so avocado is a huge part of my diet Um, it's just I I could I could eat avocados all day long Um, and for the year for about a year leading up to my bodybuilding competition I was intermittent fasting and so I wasn't eating until around 12 or 1 and then How um, many
0: hours in between was that for you in between meals? Uh 16 hours so fast. So you do the 16 hour? Yeah, 16 hour fast and then I would eat for about 8 hours. You still do that or no more?
1: I ha, you know, I'm not doing, I mean, my competition was up on Saturday, I'm letting myself sort of like ease back into whatever the next thing is going <laughs> to be. Um, I, I think the philosophy of intermittent fasting is great. Um, I enjoy the sort of clarity from intermittent fasting. And I also enjoy like sort of Having those healthy fats in my body, um, more so than like using that as energy as opposed to just carbohydrates. I feel like carbohydrates are fast energy. So mm-hmm. um, if I if I'm gonna go train, that's when I'll have carbohydrates like you know an hour before lifting or training, and and within an hour after. Otherwise, I feel like carbohydrates kind of drag drag me down. I'm, I have nothing against them, um, but it's just it's just my... <laughs> nothing against them. Yeah, but you know I feel like. It, there's carbohydrates in everything, right? So like, not everything, some proteins don't have carbohydrates, but ultimately a lot of vegetables carry carbohydrates. And I enjoy carbohydrates from vegetables, um, as opposed to like sort of more complex carbs. But I use food functionally a lot today. Like that's how I think about food. So Obviously, flavor and texture is very important to me. I'm, I'm a trained chef. I, you know, I enjoy that. So that's 80% of my of my diet, and then 20% of my diet, which is Saturday and Sunday, pretty much. Um, I'm upstate with my family, and I love to barbecue and eat. You know, steak and bur- make burgers and. You know, I I believe that, that we need that balance. I think that it's not only healthy for our mental state uh, to be able to enjoy food like that, um, but it's also great for the people that are around us. You know, sure. like my wife gets real happy when I just sink <laughs> my teeth into a fat burger.
0: What's your, uh, what is your favorite vegetable? Favorite vegetable is probably broccoli. It's a good one. I love broccoli. I, I just
1: love <laughs> broccoli.
0: And you mentioned seafood and something you're passionate about is sustainable seafood and something that's incorporated into Seymour's, which our office loves here in Dumbo and I love too. And just talk about why sustainability and seafood is something that's so important to you and so important to all of us. Well, as as I said, I grew
1: up here in New York City. And from about nine years old to about 13, I played on a sports team. And every Sunday, our sports team would Pack into a bus early in the morning and we would drive out to capture your freeport long island and we'd go fishing on the party boats and My dad loved fishing for whatever reason fishing has just been a been a big part of my 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 pastime life. I I enjoy fishing. I really just remember
0: Colleen and I saw you on New Year's Eve We were eating at Seymour's a couple years ago and you were going to like upstate New York to go fishing you were leaving at like 3 a.m. or something and like the freezing cold yeah to go like i was like wow you're serious yeah that was serious (laughs) yeah
1: yeah you know i I, it's just it's it's something that i truly love and when uh when i knew it was my time to take a step back from the meatball shop uh you know the, the the vision and the dream was already was already there in my head uh to open up a seafood concept And so the more I I dug into seafood, the more I was almost discouraged to not open up a seafood restaurant based on the status of the ocean right now, you know. I just started lifting up rocks and finding out all sorts of stuff that I I wasn't um, excited about. Like, if we keep eating seafood the way we're eating seafood by 2048, there's not going to be any left. And that, like, for me, like, scared the the pants off of me. I, I couldn't, I can't imagine not being able to eat from the ocean. Like, that's... It's like the
0: main source of protein for me. It means so much to me. It's now, less than 30 years. I know. Like, that's our lifetime.
1: Yeah. And so that's a National Geographic quote. I can't, I, I, I don't know the, the sort of validity behind it. Um, sure, it's directionally
0: accurate. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, when I read that, um, it just, it was just like, I couldn't believe it. And so I said, you know, let me start looking into some of the species of fish that I grew up catching. Because you never see them on menus ever. And I said, these, these fish can't be depleted. They're, when was the last time I saw bluefish on a menu? Or When was the last time I saw porgy on a menu or, or skate or monkfish? I mean, you see monkfish here and there, flounder, black bass. Like these fish that I grew up catching, you just simply don't see on menus on a regular basis. You do see a ton of tuna. An enormous amount of salmon, shrimp, scallops, halibut. So I started looking into the species of fish that swim local to New York, the fish that I grew up catching. And sure enough, they were um, incredibly abundant and totally sustainable. And I said, that's it. That's what I got to do. I've got, to, I've got to take a risk and I've got to put a highlight on the fish that swim local to, to New York um, that are totally sustainable, that are incredibly Im- abundant and introduce the common sense eating to the New York City market. Because, you know, why, why do I have to fly fish from 5,000 miles away when right. there's a, a plethora of fish right here, 100 miles away? 75 miles away i don't even need a plane i can drive there and pick up the fish from for the restaurant like who would have thought (laughs) so you know that was the the idea behind seymour's i wanted to take i wanted to do what i did for meatballs for fish open up a really fun accessible um concept that uh put a highlight on on sustainability because i i believe if you're not thinking sustainably today for everything um, just because there's so much in the air and there's so much in the ground that we have no control over and is absolutely 100. And I'm not like a, you know, conspiracy theorist, but it, it, you just look at the numbers. Sure. You know, like it's, it's real. Like there is things that are happening to people at large today that were not happening to people back in the day. And it has all to do with uh, non-sustainable act. Yeah. And so I think, you know, if we, the, the more sustainably we can live, the better off we'll be. And so that's what Seymour's is. Seymour's is trying to disrupt the tuna, salmon, halibut, you know, shrimp epidemic we have. <laughs> and there's six of them now around New York City. And we'll probably take it out of market next year. And we've done really well. And people, no one bats an eye. You know, no one bats an eye. We have opened the doors to aquaculture for the first time starting January 1st. So we are using green-rated farm-raised salmon just because the guests, we just, we needed to do it. Um, and I'm, and you know, I was really hesitant to open the doors to aquaculture only because I think there's a lot of controversy around is, it. yeah. And, uh, but, but at the end of the day, if you're if if you are claiming to be sustainable you have to look at it and be open minded and so that's what we are we we did a lot of research we spent over a year in R&D trying to find the right process some
0: people just say wild or bust
1: yeah so we so we've done it and um, we love the product and our guests are really happy that we've done it and people really appreciate that we're listening to them. And so along with, you know, today on the menu, you know, between there's bluefish, king mackerel, and you can have a piece of salmon too.
0: I love it. So what other sustainability is clearly on your mind and I think on the the, the minds of a lot of other chefs and restaurateurs out there. It's hard to ignore it. What other trends are you seeing in the industry right now that, you know, where do you think things are going? Um, You know, technology
1: offers an opportunity for people to uh, be more efficient and also lazy. <laughs> and so more and more people are not eating out. More and more people are ordering in. Uh, and that's just a fact. And what we have seen for sure is that... Uh, <laughs> for the first time in history probably you know people are lining up by the thousands for a toss salad right that's never happened before i mean there's been toss salad restaurants and toss salad bars sure. for, for decades but r- rarely have you ever seen a line down the block like the hottest spot in the in in every city is the salad spot yeah, sweet green. yeah sweet, sweet, <laughs> sweet, sweet, green, sweet green proved out something yeah. that, that no one ever thought would happen and it's marvelous right it's like it's wonderful to be able to to say holy smokes people are opting for a toss salad over a fried chicken and yep. there's nothing wrong with fried chicken but you know not every day not every day yeah. right and so um i believe that uh a healthy food fast is what's happening right now i mean i don't believe it i know it It, people want healthy food fast for lunch specifically and it's really great to see i think the hard part of it is you know when you open up so many restaurants you lose a little bit of um of the culture that you've launched with it's just impossible to sustain it Mm -hmm. and so you know i i think that more and more people are going to probably look to open up um, sort of cloud kitchens, and uh, and and there'll be a lot more sort of these ghost restaurants opening up where people are just ordering food from the iCloud, from the internet, and uh, oh, interesting, yeah, and just um, banking that it's being cooked the right way and and served the right way. But you know, New York City is a very New York City and other markets are very very expensive, um, and it's almost impossible to like make real money in new york right now
0: there's that great danny meyer line every great restaurant starts with a great lease <laughs> especially in new york <laughs> well the other thing that danny meyer says which is so brilliant and he's an icon of mine and i love
1: that guy um you know but he says uh the restaurant she really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you're opening up a manufacturing plant on maine and maine Like, who does that? (laughs) You know, what other industry is there? Are they opening up? Are are they looking for their production facility on the best piece of real estate money could buy? Right. So, you know, that's why the restaurant industry is so tough. uh, Because, man, you know, it's just... I mean, in, in the places where you have the opportunity to really make money, like New York, where the volumes of people are so strong in comparison to the rest of the world... You know, um, and landlords, you know, they don't care if you go out of business.
0: There's another bank that'll take your space. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned culture and something I'd be remiss not to mention, which I think is super cool, is you actually like have fitness classes at Seymour's. Mm -hmm. Like talk about that. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. So culture, I, I, I like, I've kind of coined myself a culture cowboy. Like I'm not a great p and guy. I'm not a great uh, operations, logistics guy, but I'm certainly a culture guy. Um, and that's what I bring to the table to businesses that I've, I've launched. And so at Seymour's, I wanted to do something a little different. Um, when I launched it, uh, I wanted to uh, sort of uh, put a kibosh to the stereotype that the restaurant industry is all sex, drugs, rock and roll, and smoking cigarettes. Um, and when we launched Seymour's for the for the orientation, I brought in yoga teachers, mindfulness coaches. Um, we did a two day, ten hour self development, hardcore, intense session with a, a really good friend of mine who was at Lululemon for a while. Um, I wanted to do something that 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 offered value uh in a different way than you know like the the staff that i hired for the restaurant was blown away and by the way because we did that orientation and we do have fit squad so fit it's called fit squad basically you know it it used to be a lot more often now that there's so many restaurants a lot more challenging to do it but once a quarter for the most part um, we take the whole crew to a fitness studio, or we take one of the restaurants, clear out the restaurant, bring a fitness trainer into the restaurant, and they, they work out with the, the, the team. Or I'll lead a run or a boot camp, or, in, you know, but it's always either in the restaurant or at a studio. And whoever wants to come out of the whole entire 350 Seymour's employees uh, can join in. I love it. But I will say that because of that I- initial orientation and because of the intimacy of that orientation and the way we got to know each other, and the um the vulnerability that everybody was willing to participate in then 90 percent of the staff is original wow
0: that's huge in your it's industry it doesn't huge. happen
1: yeah so I, I you know i believe that culture is is king and so i'm launching a new venture that's i haven't really discussed with anybody but i'm launching. breaking news i love it <laughs> um but but this new venture is going to be uh I will have a really strong growth trajectory for the for the food business. It's a fast casual in the health and wellness space. But my goal is not to open up 100 restaurants. My goal is to open up one really incredible, awesome, culture oriented, community focused restaurant that stays that way. And our growth trajectory will be in underground kitchens that will service through delivery. Uh, So a meal plan. Pretty much, wow. Um, and it, and it's got a really cool focus. The business I can't divulge that info, but I'm doing it with a really great friend. You mentioned him earlier. Uh, he's my partner on the project, Seamus Mullen. Oh, I love it. Uh, and uh, and we're we're gonna um, we're gonna do something really special. So New York based. New York based. Um, yeah, we're really really pumped up about it. And uh, I, I think I'm I'm going to be able to apply what I've learned from meatball shop and seymour's you know i think what i again like i'm the culture at the company i I bring the culture i create the culture i start the culture what i do is i develop a brand i build a team around it i corral everybody and get everybody fired up to launch a business and then we launch and then i take the business from one to three to five units um, and that's where my skill set sort of becomes less relevant because it becomes an operational project at that point
0: so do you have a date or a name yet I don't have a date i have a name what's the name can you share <laughs> it's called creatures of habit oh i love that
1: yeah no, how about a ballpark date i think probably
0: late fall okay that's safe it's a good time to open a restaurant in new york yeah, yeah late fall maybe. call it november that might be, a be good, for my birthday <laughs> I mean, my birthday present i'm early november
1: yeah it's called creatures of habit and uh with, spelled with a k um and it's going to, uh, it's going to be fantastic.
0: Yeah. I love it. So you got your hands full and the, the, the other venture I can't, I have to mention cause it's, it's a favorite of, uh, Colleen and I is well, well, and as I mentioned you, Colleen's pregnant and like can't get enough of your dark cacao Congrats. protein. Tri- yeah. Thank you. We're super excited. But like talk about that and what you're doing there as well. Um,
1: yeah. So well, well, uh, I launched in 2016 with, uh, three other guys. Um, and uh, Sagan Schultz is the CEO and sort of brainchild behind the whole entire brand and concept. Uh, he's an amazing guy. And um, he showed up to Seymour's with a canteen of deliciousness. Uh, he had a, he, he was making it at home. It was a, a mix of uh, watermelon juice, tart cherry juice, and lemon juice, and that was it, three ingredients. Um, and he's a MD, MBA, really smart guy. And he was sick and tired of, of going to, you know, uh, a supplement store for his BCAAs and, and, <laughs> and not knowing really what was in it and powder into water, just like wanted to do something on the more holistic natural route. And so he did all the research and, um, uh, you know, found, found that uh, L-citrulline is is very very important when it comes to muscle recovery recovery and and watermelon it carries the highest property of L- citrulline out of any natural product and tart cherry's got incredible anti-inflammatory properties um, and we really use lemon juice to sort of balance the flavor with acidity and so between those two ingredients tart cherry and watermelon juice we really thought that that we can we can make an impact on muscle recovery in a much more natural holistic way and so i tasted it i was like holy smokes that's delicious and uh I put it on my partner, Larry Prager's desk, who's like the the supermarket king. He owns Dr. Prager's Sensible yeah. Foods. And so I said, Larry, man, you got to try this. Really smart guy. Brought it to Seymour's. I fell in love with it. I want to serve it at the restaurant. But I think that we should, we should look a little deeper into it and try to get into a bottle. And so Larry did it, loved it. And then like you know that was it larry sagan myself and colin we we partnered up and we put some money into it and uh we we, we created well well which was one skew for about two years when we realized that one skew wasn't gonna cut the cheese uh we started working on a real skew set and uh, we wanted to expand the the offering and we we put six more skews out there that we just launched in uh Really, in March, we launched six new SKUs. Um, And so we have two hydrates, two proteins, uh, Recover, which is the original SKU. It's a Mm -hmm. watermelon tart cherry. And then we have a really awesome Wake SKU, which is sort of like a morning kick in the butt SKU, uh, which is fun. It's got some caffeine in it. And then we also have a Dream SKU, which helps you sleep really well at night, ashwagandha and stuff like that.
0: They're good, Um, smart, good, smart, functional beverage. I was, I was, Colleen and I were impressed with the... Let's call it the rebrand, or the update, the updated SKUs. Thanks. I mean, we we wanted to we wanted to have something for
1: everyone, Um, and uh, you know, we also wanted to be we we wanted to create a a a line of functional beverages that actually function. Yeah, they're good. (laughs) So, like every ingredient that's in there is is functional and is actually clinically studied to impact you in whatever way that
0: function is, is supposed to impact you. Yeah, you weren't messing around. You got L-theanine in there. I was like, oh, they did their homework. This is good. <laughs> yeah. This is good. I'm, I'm curious, when you're not bodybuilding, what supplements do you take? Like, athletic greens is my yep. jam. I'm like a huge
1: greens athletic batters. greens you know, guy. I, do, I, I take athletic greens every morning. Um, I take omega-3s three times a day. Um, I take a multi and I do sneak in pre-workout because I enjoy pre-workout. So I take pre-workout. I do a protein shake every now and again, but I typically get my protein from real food. Right. Um, but in terms of uh, of supplementation, yeah, you know, I I, I do D three. Uh, sure. I keep it pretty clean, you know. Um, in terms of like, I don't really. I've, this is the first time I've ever explored like, real bodybuilding uh, supplements. Different world, different, world, different, world, different world, I mean, and it's so intense. It's so yeah. intense. Like once I got to this competition, the amount of supplementation that people use, and this was a natural bodybuilding competition. There were no steroids allowed, <laughs> um, and so uh, you know, keep it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, regardless you know, like the amount of, of supplements that, that these guys and gals take are just incredible. It's like a third job for you. Well, there's just like, you know, like I saw people walking around with just like gallon bags filled with pills, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, when you're trying to push your body to, you know, see it's like 2% body fat, which is ultimately where I got down to, you know, it's crazy. That is crazy.
0: So I, I always close with the last, uh, two questions. So what, what keeps you up at night and what has you excited every morning? And then if you could go back in time and give yourself advice, what advice would that be? So we'll start with up at night, excited in the morning.
1: I guess I'll use an example from two nights ago. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning um, and uh, fear set in pretty quickly. And I, I guess the idea that Um, I'm an entrepreneur and I take big risks and they can come to a screeching halt at any time. Um, and I have a family to take care of. And so I don't, I don't have like a, a a stable, steady income, you know, I mean, I do, but I don't, right, because sure. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the boss, so I'm the leader of the team, so, you know, if anybody's going to take a, a pay cut, it's going to be me, and and I've experienced that, so, like, that's, that's the scary part of my life is that, like, I am a risk taker um, in a real way and somewhat fearless. I mean, I, I'm a fearless risk taker, uh, so I walk into things not thinking about failure ever. I, I'm, like, an optimistic, just just totally optimistic individual and i think you have to be as an entrepreneur but you know sometimes when you wake up early in the morning and you're alone and or you know you feel like you're alone, alone with, with your thoughts that. in the middle of the night yeah. i've been there yeah so like you know you know the deal it's like it can it, it, there's no like no one's cutting my check. (laughs) And so I guess that's kind of what keeps me up at night sometimes, but for the most part, I'm pretty optimistic and I feel like no matter what I put my mind to, I can achieve. So, um, and that's not in a cocky, pompous sort of like overconfident way. That's just in a, Hey, I'm a super optimistic guy. I have a very positive outlook on life. And I know for certain, based on my history, that if there's something that I want, I go get it period. And so that's the way I sort of approach life. Um, and then um, what keeps me up in the morning? Gets you excited in the Gets morning. Gets me excited in the morning. Well, I love my wife and my kids, so they, they get me excited every day. Um, but outside of them, I think uh, creativity. I love to create. I Truly, I just love to create and make people happy. And so those are the two things that really drive me, the ability to create and communicate and make people happy. And so every day I make sure that there's some sort of creative um creative action i'm taking uh towards a project towards a goal towards something um i really look forward to that i love just like coming up with something new um and building and so that that's yeah, creating and, and making people happy i love
0: it and then if you could go back in time and give yourself advice you know maybe it's not that moment when frank confronted you all that all those years ago if you give yourself advice back then what would it be <sighs>
1: um it's a good question you know I believe and I say this for business but it applies to everything but I, I the quote that I've come up with for it is the business of business is relationships the foundation of relationships is trust and I think I spent a lot of my youth not trusting um and a lot of my early adulthood not trusting because I thought that I needed to like I was the only one that can do it um if I wanted to succeed, it would have to be me. Um, no one else could do it. No one else can help. And so what I would say, uh, the piece of advice that I would, would give myself or anybody that's sort of young and listening or going through it, ask for as much fucking help as possible. Sorry, sorry. No, no, it's all, all good. Ask for as much help as possible. Ask for help in every opportunity you can. Always ask for help. Just ask for help because... Uh, having smart people around you is absolutely necessary. Having people that are better than you around you is absolutely necessary. You're actually not smart if you don't have smarter, better people around you. And so I've, I've learned to ask for as much help as possible. And I wish I asked for more help back then, um, because, uh, help is key to success.
0: I love that. Uh, JC, the founder of Movember, the great men's health organization was on this podcast a year or so ago and, and. His advice was if you're in, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. It's a great, great quote. I love it. Michael, thanks so much. So happy you brought me in. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening.